Amen. Acts chapter 3, if you have your Bible, verse 19 is going to be our text today. And we're going to kick off uh, a new series today called The Jesus Way. Say that with me. The Jesus Way. We're going to be talking for the next six weeks about the way that Jesus shows us. Amen. It's a way of repentance and salvation. It's the way of the cross. It's the way to through the empty tomb. It's the way to resurrection life. It's the way that you and I are called to live. It's the way in the kingdom, and it's the way of the kingdom. Amen? And we're going to be talking about Jesus' way of living for the next few weeks. And we're going to talk this morning, to begin it, about the way of repentance. Say that with me. The way of repentance. Amen. This past Wednesday was Ash Wednesday. Last week was Mardi Gras week, and amen, we, many of us are familiar with the traditions of that week where you have Joe Kane Day on Sunday, and apparently he was the guy who sort of revived the Mardi Gras tradition in Mobile, Alabama. And then Tuesday is Mardi Gras, which is French for Fat Tuesday, right? And uh, Wesley asked me if we were participating in Skinny Wednesday the day after. I wasn't <laughs> sure what to make of that, but uh, Fat Tuesday is followed by Skinny Wednesday, I guess. Amen. And uh, there you are. Well, Skinny Wednesday in the church is called Ash Wednesday. And on Ash Wednesday, uh, many churches gather together at noon or at evening time. And uh, they have a service where they actually take oil and the ashes from last year's palm branches from Palm Sunday. They burn them and they make ashes and they mix that together. And they put the sign of the cross with ashes on the forehead of those who attend. And they say to them as they touch their head with the ashes, these words... These ancient words that the church has said for hundreds of years on Ash Wednesday. Remember, say remember. Remember you are dust and to dust you will return. Boy, Joel Osteen wouldn't write that book, would he, Randy? Right? Yeah, that's not an encouraging message, is it? Amen. That doesn't encourage you. It just doesn't make you feel all warm and fuzzy inside, does it? Remember you are dust and to dust you will return. But can I tell you today, the first time I ever participated in a service like that, I didn't know the preacher was going to say that, and it shook me just a little bit. And I want to tell you, it's supposed to shake us a lot bit. It's supposed to shake us quite a bit, because every year we would do well to stop at least once and remember the reality that we are dust and we're headed back to dust. Amen? We came from dust in Genesis, and we go back to dust in the grave, and that is the reality of us. We start and end there in the ashes, and we would do well to remember that early and often. The Bible said in Psalm 90 that, Lord, teach us to number our days aright so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Our days are numbered. Amen? I told you this before, you're like a milk carton. Somewhere invisibly on the bottom of your foot is stamped a date, and you will not go one day beyond that date. Now, you can be foolish and hasten your date. How many of you know if you set the milk out on the shelf, it'll spoil early? Yeah, you can end your life early. <laughs> you can. But I want to tell you, no matter how well you do and how healthy you eat and how much you exercise, there's a date on the bottom of your foot, and you won't live one day past that date. It is appointed, say appointed, once for men to die, and after this, the judgment. You've got an appointment. You don't know when it is, but God's got it written down, and he'll let you know when it is when you need to know. But you've got an appointment, and so do I, and unless the Lord comes in the clouds of glory before then, you and I will keep our appointment. Amen. 
We will honor that date. And so we do well to remember the reality of the ashes, the reminder that we're dust. And what that means for us, the ashes are also another symbol, not only of our mortality, but our need of repentance. Ashes are a biblical symbol. In the Bible, people would sit in what? Sackcloth and and they would repent. And it was an outward sign that their hearts were turning back toward the Lord. And so that's what Ash Wednesday is all about. It is not what many people try to make it, and that is the idea that I can live any way I want to and go do Ash Wednesday and I'm good for another year. No, don't bank on it. <laughs> Amen. That's not how it works. But it can be a meaningful symbol of repentance and coming back to the Lord. Repentance is a word that falls on hard times. It's not a bad word. It's a good word. Amen. Repentance is the first step on the journey of realizing that we've gone off track and we need to get back on track. It's a good word. C.S. Lewis had an interesting idea about being progressive, and I thought some of you would appreciate this today. He said, we all want progress, but if you're on the wrong road, progress means doing an about turn and walking back to the right road. In that case, the man who turns back soonest is the most progressive. Amen. David Livingston said, I'll go anywhere provided it's forward. <laughs> but not everyone who thinks they're going forward is going forward. And not all change is good. Amen? Different is all, better is always different. But different isn't always better, right? We have to make sure that we are progressing in the things of God. And if we've lost ground, we need to turn around and regain the ground that we've lost. And we do that by the discipline and the grace of repentance. Say repentance one more time. Repentance. The Gospels begin with the message of repentance. John the Baptist burst onto the scene saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus' first message was the same. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here. Repent. The message of the apostles was that. The Bible tells us that's what they preached. In fact, if you look at Acts 2, you find it there. Acts 2.38, Peter's very first message on Pentecost Sunday was, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus for the remission of sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter preached, Repent. Do you see it? In Acts 3.19, he says it again. He says, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Many people want refreshing, but refreshing starts with repenting. Amen. And the only way we'll ever get to the fountain of living water is if we forsake our broken cisterns that hold no water. The only way we will get to where we need to go is if we turn from where we are and head in another direction. Repentance is the way for us. The Bible says that Paul preached repentance in Acts 20. He said, I've kept nothing back from you that was helpful, but I proclaimed to you and taught you both publicly and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance toward God and faith toward Christ. He preaches that publicly to Agrippa in a private audience with him face to face in the courtroom. He says, therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and all the region of Judea and to the Gentiles that they should repent and that they should turn to God and do works befitting of repentance. 
This is the message of the New Testament church that all begins with repent. What does it mean to repent? What does this word mean for us? How do we unpack that? Well, I want to talk about that for a moment. What does repentance look like? What are its composite parts? What makes up repentance? How do we know when we've done it? How do we know when we've actually pleased God and repented of our sins? Well, let me give you some, some unpacking of what the word means. Amen? Number one, repentance is recognition of our sin. Say recognition. It means we recognize our sin. We, we see it for what it is. We name it rightly. We agree with God about what our sin is. We call a spade a spade, as my daddy would say. Repentance involves recognizing our sinful actions as sin. We all live in a world that doesn't like the word sin very much. The word, the concept of sin has fallen on hard times. People think you're a fanatic or a fundamentalist if you talk about sin anymore. But I want to tell you, sin is still a reality and there are things we do that break the heart and the will of God and the Bible calls them sin, amen? We use a thousand euphemisms to keep from admitting or confessing our sin. We say, oh, it was an error or a mistake. It was a blunder. It's a weakness, a misstep, a snafu, a little problem I struggle with, just an issue that I have. But the Bible calls it sin, amen? And we ought to call it sin if the Bible calls it that. We're a lot like uh, the Duchess of Buckingham. She was invited by Lady Huntington, a patron of George Whitfield, to hear him preach in England back in the day. And when she heard George Whitfield preach, she was cut to the heart and convicted of her sin. But instead of repenting, she got angry about it. And Lady Huntington asked her, what did you think about George Whitfield's preaching? And this was her response. She said, it is a monstrous thing to be told you have a heart as sinful as the common wretches that crawl on the earth. It is highly offensive and insulting. Wow. She didn't like George Whitfield's preaching, Pastor Tristan. <laughs> because it made her feel like her heart was just as wicked and vile as that of any other sinner on the planet. Well, I want to tell you, the Duchess of Buckingham was wrong and George Whitfield was right. Amen. And what she needed in that moment was the Word of God and the Spirit of God to lay her heart bare so she could see that reality and she could look to the cross as the remedy and she could find salvation through Jesus. That was the only hope for her. No matter what kind of coronet sat on top of her head, it was Jesus that she needed and Jesus that she missed because she wouldn't recognize her sin. Say, recognize it. Recognizing our sin, what do you mean? I mean two things, conviction and confession. Number one, conviction. We have to be convicted of our sin. And that's what the Holy Ghost does. The Spirit's job is to convict and my job is to confess. The Spirit comes and shows me my sin. He shows me my heart. John 16 and 8, when the Holy Spirit has come, He will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. That's the Spirit's job. He awakens our dead hearts. He reveals to us an awareness of our sinfulness. I'm talking about more than just your conscience being pricked or feeling a sense of guilt over something we're done. That I mean more than that. I mean something deeper and stronger than that. Not just a simple awareness that you've caused someone pain. Conviction is more than that. Conviction is a legal term. Conviction is when you stand before the courtroom and the jury finds you guilty and the judge comes back and says you are guilty as charged. It's when the gavel falls. It's when the jury has 
weighed in and they have found you to be guilty. In that moment, you are guilty before the law. It doesn't matter how you feel about it. It doesn't matter whether you like it or not. It doesn't matter whether you agree with it or not. It is now a legal fact. You have been convicted of a crime. And I want to tell you today, that's what conviction does. You may disagree with it. You may not like it. You may get mad about it. You may rebel against it and kick against the pricks like Saul. You may get mad like the Duchess of Buckingham that somebody pointed it out to you. But the reality is this. Conviction comes when the Holy Spirit makes aware to you that you are not right with God. In that moment, you've been convicted. And the Holy Ghost has done his job. And now it rests in your lap what you will do with it because God has done what he's supposed to do. He has gotten a conviction. It's the realization I've broken the, holy, the law of a holy God and I have broken his moral law and I stand guilty as a commandment breaker before him and that I will certainly face the next step eventually. What happens after conviction? Sentencing. You appear before the judge and he issues the sentence for your crime. You've already been convicted. You're just waiting for the judgment to come. Now, what's going to happen to me because of what I've done? And I want to tell you, the next thing that comes after conviction is judgment. God will judge for sin. And there's only two options. Either the judgment will fall on me if I continue in my sin or the good news is there's another place the judgment fell. 2,000 years ago on an old rugged cross, the judgment for our sin fell on the Lord Jesus and he bore our sins and he carried our transgressions. And if you'll run to the cross and kneel down, if you'll trust Jesus as your Savior, you'll find that the judgment was already dealt with at Calvary. Amen. So what do you do? If you've got half a brain, you'll settle out of court. That's what you'll do. You'll run to the cross and you'll take the deal of God's grace and mercy and you'll find pardon at Calvary. You'll let God meet you there and forgive you of your sins. But you'll never even see or feel that you need the cross until the Holy Spirit convicts you of your sin and convinces you that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. That's conviction. He sensitizes our conscience. He awakens it to God's Word as the preacher preaches it. He gives a divine discomfort that the thing things are not right between our soul and God and then comes confession recognizing it means not only being made aware of it but agreeing with God about it awareness and agreement conviction and confession they go together I've got to agree with God I've got to confess my sin to God I have to admit that what I've done is indeed sin the word confess means to say the same thing that's literally what the word means first John 1 9 if we confess our sins he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness confess con means with Confession, confess, homologitsamai, that's a big old word. It literally means same word or speaking the same, to say the same. In other words, I say about my sin what God says about my sin. That's confession, owning it. That's what we would say today, just own it. Just own up to it. Just come clean about it. Be honest with God and yourself about it. Lord, I have sinned against you. That's confession, amen. Now, you say, okay, well, that's repentance, conviction and confession. Not quite. You're not to repentance yet. 
You're just in the front door of repentance, but you still haven't repented. This is just the prep work for repentance, okay? We've got to go further than that. Stop making excuses. Stop justifying our sin. Stop calling it by some name other than sin. Confession is when the prodigal stood and said, I have sinned against heaven and before you and am no longer worthy to be called your son. Confession is David saying, I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. That's confession. But confession is not repentance. In, in, in the book of Exodus chapter 9, Pharaoh confessed, but he didn't repent. He said in Exodus 9, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous and my people and I are wicked. He confessed, but he didn't repent. He didn't change anything. He went right back and kept on persecuting the people of God and refused to let them go. In 1 Samuel 15, Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, I have confessed, I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Yet he didn't change anything. He confessed, but he didn't repent. It's not the same thing. Confession is not far enough to be called repentance yet. Matthew 27 and 4, Judas cried out after he betrayed the Lord and said, I have sinned and betrayed innocent blood, but he didn't repent. How do you know? Because he didn't return to Jesus. He went out and hanged himself in remorse. That's not repentance. If he'd repented, he'd have come back to the Lord because repentance is not just turning away, it's turning back to God. Peter repented, Judas didn't. There's the difference. Amen. Well, I don't know about that. Well, I do. Pastor, how do we know what happened to Judas? Acts 1 tells you what happens to Judas. The Bible says that he died, he hanged himself, he fell, and his body burst open. And it says they came and took him away. And it says he died and he went where he belonged. Where do you think people who betray the Lord Jesus and don't repent belong? I don't think there's any clue or hesitation in the text that Judas ended up losing out and went to hell. I, I, I don't think there's any ambiguity about that. I've seen people write whole articles, try to preach Judas into heaven. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I don't believe you can make the text say it. I believe Acts 1 flat contradicts it. Hear me. Repentance is necessary. We must repent of our sin. We can't just confess and, and go on in the track we're in. God requires that we turn around and change direction. Confession's not enough to be called repentance. It's the start, but it's not the end. It requires confession. Pharaoh wanted to be rescued from the plagues. Saul wanted to look spiritual in front of the people. Judas wanted relief from a guilty conscience. But they didn't want to be made right with God and walk with him. There's the difference. That's repentance. I don't just want relief. I want right relationship with God. That's how you know you've repented. What do you really want out of the arrangement? Mm. Number two, remorse. Say remorse. Remorse over sin. Not only do I have to acknowledge my sin and, and know something about my sin, I have to feel something about my sin. I must feel sorrow over my sin. Repentance means I'm sorry about what I did. My heart is broken over the sin that I committed. Repentance means I don't just see the reality, but I feel sorry for having committed it. I'm sorry I did it. I'm not just sorry I got caught doing it. Do you hear me? That's different. Everybody's sorry they got caught. <laughs> Amen. There's not a man up in Atmore that's not sorry he didn't get caught. But they're not all sorry they did it, are they, Randy? No. 
sorrow, godly sorrow that can lead us to repentance. We must be sorry about what we did. Repentance is more than regretting the consequences of our action. Many people regret the hangover, but they don't regret the party. Do you hear me? There's a difference there. My friend J.O. Walker uh, was pastor in Mendenhall Church of God, and he told a story about that. He said, when I was about 16 years old, the fair came uh, to my county. And he said, I wanted, to go to the count- I wanted to go to the county fair so bad, but my daddy told me I could go after I finished my chores. And he said, I got to studying on that, and I thought, you know what? If I do all these chores, I won't be able to leave here to 3 or 4 o'clock. The fair will be nearly over by the time I get there, and I'll have to turn around and come back about dark. I won't get to spend more than an hour or two at the fair. He said, so I decided I wasn't going to do my chores, and I was going to go to the fair anyway. He said, and I knew what was going to happen when I got home. My daddy was going to get me good. And he said, you know what? I went, and he did. And he said, I got to thinking about it, though. He said, that whipping was only going to hurt a few minutes. I was going to have fun at the fair all day long. (laughs) When Brother Walker told me that story, he said, I'm 76 years old, and I still think I made the right decision. He'd still not repented. (laughs) There are a lot of people like that. They don't like the spanking. They regret that they're in trouble, but they have no regret about what they actually did. Friend, that isn't repentance, okay? Repentance is when I own it as wrong, and repentance is when my heart and my emotions agree that I should not have done it, and I actually begin to feel sorrow over my sin. I begin to feel the weight of what I did. That's, that's, that's remorse. Say remorse. Amen. This is the attitude. I, I love the book of common prayer, the way it gives us the little prayer of repentance. It says, Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus, maker of all things, judge of all men. Listen to these words. We acknowledge and confess the grievous sins and wickedness which we have so often committed by thought, word, and deed against your divine majesty, provoking most justly your anger and wrath against us. We earnestly repent. We are deeply sorry for these, our wrongdoings. The memory of them weighs us down. The burden of them is too great for us to bear. Have mercy on us. Have mercy on us, most merciful Father. For your Son, the sake of your Son, the Lord Jesus, have mercy on us. Forgive us all that is past. Grant that from this time onward we may only serve and please you in newness of life to the honor and glory of your name through Jesus Christ. Friend, that's repentance. Lord, I feel it. The the burden of it is is weighing me down. I feel the weight of my sin. I sense that I've not only broken some law, I've broken the heart of the man who loves me. I've broken the heart of the God who cares for me. That's what makes sin so bad. It's not breaking the law. It's breaking the heart of God. It's sinning against a lover who has given himself to us. Amen. 2 Corinthians 7, 9, Paul said, I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Don't you love that? There's two ways to be sorry. If you're sorrowful in the worldly way, you just have regret. There are a lot of people in the world who regret things they've done, but they've not found any way to see those things redeemed and turned around. Christians are not only people who regret, they've repented and found redemption. And they've discovered that God can even take their mistakes and weave them back into the story. God can even take their bad decisions and redeem them and turn them around and bring something good and praiseworthy out of them. Only God can do that. And the only way he can do it is if we repent. Say repent. 
I must think rightly about it. I must feel rightly about it. I must have sorrow over my sin. It's looking at the cross and understanding my sins are the reason that he's hanging there. A repentant heart says with John Wesley, If to the right or left I stray that moment, Lord, reprove and let me weep my life away for having grieved your love. It's Saul and David. There's the contrast. When Saul is confronted with his sin, he says, Oops, I guess I messed up. No big deal. Saul, can we just get on with the show and kind of do the sacrifice and pray the prayer because I've got a battle to start here. That's the heart of Saul. Contrast that with the heart of David when the prophet comes and confronts him about his sin. David falls on his knees and says, Lord, be merciful to me. A sinner. He falls on his knees and says, Lord, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take the kingdom, but don't take your spirit away from me. Whatever you do, don't leave me, Lord. That's repentance. Lord, I can lose anything, but I don't want to lose you. That's a repentant heart. Repentance is recognition. It's remorse. But that's still not enough. That by itself is not enough. Hebrews 12, 17 says, Esau afterwards wanted to inherit the blessing but was rejected and found no place of repentance though he sought it diligently with tears. He was sorry, but his sorrow wasn't enough. He didn't have an opportunity at that point to make a change in his life. He was not able to undo or reverse the decisions that he made. He was stuck with the consequences of his sin. That's a horrible place to be. When we go so far down the road of sin that there's no return, there's no way to get it back on the right track. What do we do? Well, the third step, the step that he was missing was this. Reversal. Say reversal. You've got to put the thing in reverse and back out of the situation. You've got to get off the wrong road onto the right road. You've got to make a course correction. That is ultimately what repentance means. These other two things are just preparing for repentance. Confession is acknowledging that you're wrong and remorse is feeling sorry enough to do something about it and say, I've got to get out of here. I can't keep living like I'm living. Repentance is when we actually put feet on those prayers and do something different and live a different kind of way. Repent. The Bible says in Proverbs 28, 13, whoever covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will find mercy. Forsake, that's what repentance is, forsaking our sin, leaving our old sin behind. The Greek word is metanoia. It means to change your mind about something. You used to think it was a good idea. Now you've decided it's a bad idea. You used to choose to go that direction. Now you're choosing to go another direction. Repentance is choosing to change directions. Repentance is not just remorse. It's not just crying at an altar. It's not just confessing to God you did it and asking forgiveness. Repentance is literally, I was walking this way and now I'm walking this way. That's repentance. If there is no change in direction, there is no repentance. Eric Sauer says it's a threefold action. It means knowledge of sin in my understanding. It means pain and grief over sin in my emotions. And it means a change of mind in my will. I have to decide to do something different. Amen. 
There must be a volitional, willful change. Repent means to turn around. We stop doing what we repented of. Gloria Lee writes this, and I think she's right. She said, I've watched people run through to an altar and say a sinner's prayer and shed buckets of tears and sniffle. I've been bad. And all the Christians get excited and cry with them and hug their necks and exclaim how the angels are rejoicing in heaven. And then they feel like fools by Friday when the word gets back that their new saint is back out doing whatever he was doing on the Saturday before he repented. Why? Because he didn't. <laughs> he didn't repent. Amen. Let me tell you one of the problems we've got in the church of God. One of the problems we've got in the church of God is this. It's not that it's too easy to get lost in the church of God. We thought that was our problem for years. You stub your toe, you're going to hell. No, no. It's not too easy to get lost in the church of God. It's too easy to get saved in the church of God. What do you mean? Not everyone who comes to an altar and prays a prayer and cries some tears is born again. <laughs> That's our problem. <laughs> We're handing out certificates. We're giving participation medals down here. Amen. <laughs> We're giving away. We're signing people up that aren't signed up in heaven. No, no, no. The Bible says you not only have to acknowledge your sin, you have to confess it, you have to forsake it, you have to repent of it. You have to change your mind about it. You have to decide you're not going to live that way anymore. With the help of God and by the power of His Spirit, you're going to walk out of here and walk a different way. And if you haven't done that, you haven't repented of your sin, and you're not saved until you repent. Hmm. It's not too easy to get lost. It's too easy to get saved. Come, repeat a prayer, shake a preacher's hand, sign you up for baptism. No, friend. Have you repented of your sins? This isn't a hard question. You know your own heart. When you walk out of this place, do you intend with all your heart to follow Jesus? I didn't say you could do that on your own. I didn't say you wouldn't stumble on the way. I'm not asking about your performance. I'm asking about your intention. What do you mean to do when you leave here? What are you already planning to do when you leave here? What have you already decided, if you'd be honest, next week's going to look like for you? Have you repented? <laughs> have you honestly said to God, I'm going a different way. I'm going to live for you. I'm not going to live for the world. I'm not going to live for myself. I'm not going to follow the examples of sinners around me. I'm going to live different, talk different, act different, be different. I am going to repent. That's repentance. Amen. People say, well, I've got to taper off of that. The Bible says, let him who stole steal no longer. That's repentance. Just quit. Some of you need to watch the old Bob Newhart counseling episode. Stop it. You don't need 10 years of counseling. You just need to stop it. Just quit. Repent of it. Lay it down. You don't need to talk about it 100 times. You just need to quit. Repent. That's the Bible's answer for most of this. Lord, help me. Repentance is stopping and turning. It's not just slowing down either. Well, I'm going to slow down, preacher. A policeman pulled a guy over one day because he rolled slightly through a stop sign. And the guy argued and said, oh, it's the same thing, officer. It's the same thing. I can't believe you stopped me for that. Why would you give me a ticket for not stopping? I stopped. I slowed my way through it. Stopping and slowing is the same thing. The policeman opened the door, pulled him out, brought him around back, took his nightstick and started wailing on him. He said, ow, that hurts. Stop. The officer said, you want me to stop or just slow down? 
is different. <laughs> Repentance is not slowing down. Repentance is stopping. <laughs> Give the Lord praise in the house of God. Stop. <laughs> Forsake your sin. Turn around, go a different way. Have you repented or are you still holding negotiations with God about what you can and cannot do? It's like a husband and a wife driving down and she's looking at the map and says, the map says turn left here and he misses it and turns right instead. And she says, babe, you, you missed it. Oh, I'm sorry, baby. You know I love you. I'm sorry that I missed it. But he just keeps driving. It doesn't matter how sorry he is. If he doesn't turn the car around, they're never going to get where they're supposed to go. And neither will we. Being sorry is not enough. We have to repent. We must turn around. We must go a different way. We must reverse our course. Sometimes it means more than stopping. Sometimes we haven't just hurt God and hurt ourselves. Sometimes our sin has hurt other people. And when we've done that, there's something else we're supposed to do. Something else I grew up hearing in the church of God, Tony, that don't nobody preach about anymore. You make restitution. Had a preacher preach a sermon one time about the guys that tore the hole in the roof to let the lame man down. And he asked an interesting question. I wonder if they went back and fixed his roof. That's a good question. Have you torn a hole in anybody's roof lately? Did you fix it? Repentance means you don't just recognize it and feel bad about it, but if it's in your power, you go back and do something to repair the damage that you did. How do you know you repented? Because they come back and try to make it right. That's how you know they repented. Zacchaeus said, Lord, if I have taken from anybody what didn't belong to me, if I've taken it by, by fraudulent means, I'll pay it back fourfold. That's repentance and restitution. Zacchaeus got saved. How do you know? His pocketbook got saved. That's how I know. <laughs> he got saved and it changed his behavior. He repented of his sin. Say repentance. This is not some penance that tries to merit God's favor or buy our forgiveness. God forbid. That would be an insult to the high price Jesus paid on the cross. But it demonstrates the truth that a change has taken place in my heart. My actions have been affected. Not just my mind and my emotions, but my behavior has been changed. I close with this. What is repentance? It is reversal. It is remorse. It is recognition. But finally and ultimately, it is returning to God. Say returning. To repent is to return to God. It's not just turning away from sin, it's turning back toward Jesus. Repentance is a twofold action. Hosea 14, 1, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for your sins have brought you down. Brought you down. Bring your confessions and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and graciously receive us so that we may offer you our praises. Say to God, Assyria can't save us, nor can our war horses. Never again will we say to idols we've made, you are our gods. Do you see it there? They're confessing. There's remorse. They are acknowledging that it's wrong. They're saying we're not going to go back and do it again. They're forsaking. We're forsaking false gods. We're forsaking hope in Assyria. We're forsaking our hope in ourselves. And then there it is again. No, in you alone do the orphans find mercy. We're returning to you, Lord. That is the full picture of repentance in three verses right there. I see it. I feel it. I turn away from it. And I turn back toward the Lord. That's repentance. Hosea 14, 1 to 3. That's the picture. Have you done that? That's what I'm asking today. Have we repented of our sin? We have to have a new mindset about it. James McDonald says repentance is destroying the rationalization in my mind that led to sin. 
the very thought pattern that got me into trouble, I attack that thing and say, that is a wrong way of thinking. And not only will I not do that anymore, I won't even think that way anymore. That's repentance. Hmm. It's not just breaking the head off the tops of weeds. It's digging them up by the roots. That's repentance. Beth Moore said, every stronghold in your life is built around a lie that you believe. I think she's right. If there's a pattern of ongoing sin in my life, I have believed something wrong about it. I believe that sin is meeting a need for me. That's why I keep doing it. And to repent means I change my mind and I decide, you know what, that sin is not meeting a need. That sin is actually creating more problems in my life. It's giving me relief, but it isn't giving me restoration. That's what I preached last Sunday, remember? There's a difference between relief and being restored. And sin may give you relief, but it won't bring you restoration. It's acknowledging that, owning that, calling it what it is, and changing our attitude and our direction. John Stott said repentance and faith involve each other. It's turning from sin is impossible without turning to God and vice versa. Repentance isn't just turning away, it's turning to Jesus. We don't leave God and get free. We leave God and get bound in sin. That's what happens to us. And the only way to get free is to turn back to God and to surrender our hearts to Him. Walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Repentance toward God and faith toward Jesus, Paul said in Acts 20. Those are two sides of the same coin. Two movements, one action. Repent. Turn away from sin. Turn back to God in your heart of hearts. Lord, help us today. Repentance is not just a human activity. The Bible says in Acts 5.31 that the Lord Jesus, we're praying that he will come to give repentance of sin to Israel. Repentance is a gift. It's a gift. Acts chapter 11 says that God granted the Gentiles repentance to life. 2 Timothy says we should pray for those who've walked away from God so that God may perhaps grant them repentance. It's a gift. Say it's a gift. I want to ask you today, are you unwrapping the gift of repentance? Stand with me all over the Lord's house. Pastor, what do you mean unwrapping the gift? What I mean is this. Are you understanding today that if you're at a place in your life where you can see and feel the weight of your sin, that is not a bad thing, that is a very good thing. That is a gift of God to you. God is being very good to you today if he's letting you feel and see the weight of your sin. If you're feeling the pull of that, what are you going to do about it today? Are you going to turn back to the Lord? Are you going to come clean? Are you going to allow that to lead you to an altar? Are you going to come and confess your sin and say, Lord, I'm owning it for what it is. Lord, I'm going to turn around by your help and grace. I'm going to stop. Lord, the intention of my heart when I leave here today is to live for you and to not go back to the way I've been living. Lord, I'm turning back to you because I know I can't do that on my own. I need your spirit. I need your power. I need your life. I need your help. I need your grace. Repentance. Are you unpacking that gift today? Are you unwrapping that box today? Have you broken the bow on that? Listen, I don't know how long you've been coming or what steps you've taken in your life of faith, but I want to tell you for many of us in the room, this is the missing one and this is the next right one. You hear me? If you're here and you've sat under the preaching of this pulpit for the last few months and you've come to believe that what I'm telling you is true, you've come to believe in your heart that sin is wrong and that Jesus is the only way out and that God's grace will forgive your sin if you'll run to Calvary, then I just want to ask you today, 
When are you going to repent of your sin? Because you see, that's really the issue here this morning. The issue is not that you don't believe the gospel. The issue is you just can't make the cold, hard decision to say, that's it. I believe it enough to act on it. I believe it enough to step out of the boat and walk on the water with Jesus. I believe it enough to walk away from the way I've been living and to come and surrender my life to God. Because until you believe it that much, you don't really believe it savingly. Saving faith risks everything. Saving faith puts all its eggs in the basket, and that's Jesus. Saving faith says, you're my only hope, and I'm going to give my whole life to you if you'll save me from sin. Saving faith is faith that believes the gospel enough to repent of sin. To say, I'm walking away from the way I've been living, and I'm coming to God, and I'm coming clean. I'm giving it to Him. I'm going to, I'm, my intention from today forward is to follow Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to serve God from today on out. I know I won't, I know my performance won't be flawless. I know I'll make mistakes. But my desire, my intention, my plan, my goal is to live for God when I get up from this altar today. That's repentance. Have you repented? Has there been a moment in your life when you repented of sin? When you decided, I can't hold on to sin and God both, I've got to let go of one and embrace the other. And I'm letting go of my sins. And even though my steps may falter, I'm going to start walking the Jesus way. I'm going to start walking the way that God wants me to live with all the help he'll give me. Have you repented of your sin? Maybe you're here and you once walked with God, but you wandered away. What do you need to do? The same thing. You need to repent of your sin. I know this isn't rocket science. I know this isn't a shouting message. But I want to tell you, this is where lots of people in this room are today. The thing that's got you blocked is just this one thing. You won't repent. You won't repent. You won't just make up your mind, I'm done. You won't just draw that hard line in the sand and say, That's, it's over for me. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. This is it for me. Repentance is not just dipping your toe in the pool and then pulling back. Listen, repentance is when your feet leave the high dive. There is no going back. Your feet have left the ledge. There's no returning. You're out there now. You've committed. I'm asking you today, don't try Jesus for 30 days. Repent of your sins. Let your feet once and for all leave the ledge. Had a dear saint of God ask me the other day, what's wrong? What, what's happened to people these days? This is all I can boil it down to. People used to repent. And now they just confess and apologize and get up and Try to slow down on their sin. Have you repented? What does God require of us to be saved? Repentance toward God and faith toward Jesus. Turn away from sin. Turn toward the cross and let him change your life. It's a gift. Will you receive it today? If you're here and the Holy Spirit's put his finger on your heart and your life, it's very simple. Stop fighting him. Stop arguing with him. Stop justifying yourself. Stop making excuses. It's okay. Pastor, what will people think? Who cares what people think? Everybody in the room is just like you, a sinner who had to repent. If anyone here has anything you don't have, it was a gift they received from the hand of a loving God and that God will give you the same thing he gave them. 
He'll forgive your sin and He'll give you a new heart and He'll give you the ability to live a new life. We all stand here today by the sheer grace and mercy of a good God found at the cross of Jesus. Nobody has a right to look down their nose at anybody in this room. What do any of us have that we didn't receive as a gift? We've merited nothing. If anybody here is right with God, they did what I'm asking you to do. They repented. They repented. They came and said, Lord Jesus, I own it. I feel it. I confess it. And by your grace, I forsake it. I turn my back. I turn my face towards you. I want you more than that. That's relief, but your restoration, I choose you over my sin. Help me walk my way out of this pit that I'm in. And God will do that step by step. Pastor, what if I fall? You will, and we'll help you up. You keep on going. Righteous man will fall seven times, but he'll get up eight. Why? Because he repented. Because his heart's changed, and he can't stay in it. Are you there? Maybe today you're in sin and your heart's breaking. Come out of it. Repent. Just come clean. Just come to the altar. Just come find a place to kneel. Just say, Lord Jesus, I acknowledge it. I confess it. By your grace, I forsake it. Forgive me. Enable me to live different. Every head bowed in this room. Lord, I have preached my heart out. I have said it every way I know to say it, Jesus. But at the end of the day, it's not anything I can do. Holy Spirit, unless you come and convict. Holy Spirit, unless you... Saints, pray right now. Holy Spirit, unless you come and blow through this place, unless you breathe on dead hearts, unless you lift the weight of chains, unless you unlock the doors of prison cells, unless you set at liberty those that are bound, all is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One come down. Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus, right now I pray from one side of this room to the other, from the floor to the balcony, I pray that the sweet Holy Ghost of God would just come blowing through this place. I pray that right now, Lord, you would bring conviction of sin. I pray that you would convince people that there is a need for, of, you, of your grace and your mercy. I pray that they'd feel the weight of it. I pray that they'd feel remorse and sorrow over their sin. And Lord, I pray that godly sorrow would lead them to repentance, that they wouldn't just confess it and cry some tears and get up to do the same thing. I pray that today would be the day they walk down and say, Lord, I'm done. I am done. I am done with the world. I'm done with that old life. I don't ever want it anymore. I don't want to go back to it. I want you to free me from it. Lord, even if they once walked and stepped back into it like the prodigal, I pray that today they would come running back to the Father's arms and they would find your grace and mercy. Lord, you were married to the backslider. Call them home today. Call them home today. Lord, do your work in this house in Jesus' name. Amen. I've preached my heart. I've done my best. Will you repent? Will you repent of your sin? Will you turn to Jesus? Will you return to him if you once walked and walked away? Will you come home today like the prodigal? Will you find a place on these steps to come and pour out your heart and say, Lord Jesus, I'm coming back to you? Chad's going to lead this in a song of worship. We're going to sing, and then we're going to go. But I want you to come. If the Spirit of God has stirred your heart, don't wait, don't tarry, don't put it off. It's easier now than it'll ever be. Just come. Nobody's judging you. What you feel is not the eyes of people in this room on your back. What you feel is the hand of God on your shoulder. And He knows your heart. And He's not trying to expose you in order to humiliate you. He's trying to expose your sin in order to rescue you from the grip of it. 
Your blind eyes have opened and you've seen a rattlesnake in your hand. Cast it from you just as fast as you can and come to this altar.